Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel, good afternoon. Howdy. Eric, how are you today? I'm wonderful. Good to talk to you and see you on the Discord. <laughs> right. And for our listeners, there is the opportunity. When Eric and I record, we do see each other's face-to-face. We use a, a service called Discord. And so he is probably looking at this weird smudge on my forehead today. In the Christian tradition, it's Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. And uh, Reverend Caitlin and I just came inside from doing drive through ashes out on the main highway out in front of the church. And Joel, in keeping with our theme today, which is going to be prayer, um, when you do that ritual, um, do you say a prayer? Does the person for whom it's being applied say a prayer? Usually the person coming to the the ashes, they don't have a, a memory or a habit of any specific words. But the clergy, when presiding over that moment, we often say the same base words, and they're the words that you referred to last week, uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Uh, and what we're trying to do, the whole point of this liturgy and this ritual is to remind each other God made us from the microscopic molecules of the universe dust, and at some point in our death, we will return to microscopic you know, bits and pieces of the universe, but death doesn't have its victory over us, and God can remake us, recreate us, resurrect us, even from the ashes to which we are returning. So don't look upon death and, and the ashes of death as a fearful end. Look, of them, uh, look upon them as a transition, which all ties into last week's, uh, yes, last week's podcast. So if you're listening and you're, and you're doing a reverse order, uh, go back to listen to last week's and then and then come back here. Uh, But today, uh, I think we want to talk about prayer, um, because prayer is one of those things that everyone, I think everyone has an opinion about. It's boring, it's beautiful, it's long, it's difficult. Uh, And I also think, um, from the little I know of Christianity, but certainly being at your church a few times and you being with with our congregation, uh, that there are some really meaningful differences we can get into. Agreed, yes. So, and Christians have a hard time with prayer in general and in the, our, our variety of forms of prayer, even to use this word feels awkward, acceptable prayer is, uh, is all over the map. But I do want you to walk it through and I, I, um, from your perspective, and I'm really interested in the personal prayer habits uh, in, in Jewish faith traditions as well as the corporate prayer habits in the Jewish faith tradition. Okay, I'm happy to start there. I think a good way to start is by breaking down these two concepts in Hebrew. Um, Extra points, uh, if you all remember these words. Uh, Keva and Kavanah. Keva literally means fixed, not as in broken fixed, but fixed in time. So something that's keva is every morning you wake up and you hopefully brush your teeth. You have a cup of coffee. It's it's part of your routine. It doesn't matter what you feel like doing. It doesn't matter what your mood is, what where your spirit is. You do it. Okay, that's keva. Kavana is 
oh, I'm going to do something really nice for my best friend, my wife, my husband. Um, I'm going to surprise them with something. It's, it's something where you are moved to feel or do a certain thing. And so I associate personal prayer, and I think Judaism associates personal, private prayer. I'm at home, I wake up, I say a prayer of gratitude or perhaps a prayer for healing for someone I know or love. That is kavanah. I think Judaism emphasizes, however, the keva because communal prayer is incredibly important to Judaism and it's very formulaic. I mean, you may know from the times you've prayed with us, Joel, that we, we tend to say the same prayers over and over. Um, certainly the sermon, you know, are my crafted English words. But in terms of the service order, um, there are prayers that follow each other. And to a large degree, regardless of where we are in the calendar, regardless of what event we might be celebrating or even mourning, there are a number of prayers that we say every service. And traditional Jews pray three times a day and so say those prayers then three times a day. And that is obviously an example of what I'm talking about here, this fixed nature of keva. One reason that, that the communal prayer is so important is because Judaism, here's another Hebrew word, places another large importance on the concept of, in Hebrew it's called a minyan, a minion we'll say in English. And a minion is defined as 10 adult Jewish men We've changed it in more liberal Judaism to 10 adult Jew Jewish people, and that's people who've had their bar bat mitzvah over the age of 13. And there are prayers that we don't say out loud if there's less than 10 people. And so there is an actual difference qualitatively depending on uh, whether you have that quote-unquote, complete community. And very often when someone is mourning the death of a loved one, so I need to back up. There's a prayer uh, where we honor those who came be before us. It's called the Mourner's Kaddish. And for almost a year, if you're a, what's designated an official mourner, you have to, you're supposed to say the Mourner's Kaddish. And that is a prayer that requires a minion. And so every now and again, I'll get a phone call from Chabad or Hillel or someone I know saying, hey, Rabbi, we have eight people. We have nine people. Can you be the 10th? Can you make the minion so that so-and-so can say Kaddish for his wife, father, mother, what have you? And so that communal responsibility plays a huge part in the traditional concept of Jewish prayer. The, the responsibility to show up and to be part of the praying community beside the one who is grieving or that's right lovely because it's still a, a, so the three prayer services are uh, designated by time there's morning afternoon and then evening and so the prayer services are the prayer services whether one is morning or not but the answer to your question is 100% yes and then the other thing i'll say and i don't know that this is dissimilar um, but prayers run the gamut of what we call, um, you know, of course, prayers of gratitude, thanking God. Um, and in the morning service, M-O-R-N, there are about a dozen or so, we call them the Nisim B'chol Yom, prayers for daily life or daily miracles. And so these thank God for allowing us to open our eyes, to designate day from night, for girding our steps with strength, the ability to walk. Um, and so th there's prayers like that. Uh, there's also, of course, um, uh, I'm blanking on the English word, Joel. 
where you ask for stuff, petitionary, <laughs> petitionary prayers. And uh, our central prayer in Judaism has, depending how one counts, 12 or it has 18 parts to the prayer. And there are 12 or 13 petitionary prayers within that. And this one interesting thing about the way the calendar works is on Shabbat, and this may going, be going a little bit into the weeds, but I think it's interesting. On Shabbat, the idea is God gave us the gift of Shabbat, and we're so joyous and blessed that it's Shabbat that we shouldn't have to ask for anything. So on Shabbat, there are no petitionary prayers. Mm. Um, and then there's a question of who are the prayers for? Are they for God? Are they for ourselves? Are they for our community and the world? And I, I'm sure that's fairly similar as well. But I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts either on my tradition or, you know, go ahead into your own practices. Yeah, I, I love that on Shabbat, you don't petition God for anything. It's almost as if uh, the ritual or the habit of Sabbath itself is to say there's enough. And, and if, you're, ex- if you're praying for more on Sabbath, you're kind of greedy. You're, you're the one who pulled aside the manna and tried to take extra when God told you one prayer, please. <laughs> that, that, that's as, as – Described as good as I've ever heard it. I, I, I sometimes use the word chutzpah, if you know the Yiddish word chutzpah, that, that it's an example of that. Nice. Absolutely. There's something interesting going on here. Um, I think when Christians think of prayers, we think of words. Uh, now, those words may be spoken or they may be thoughts. When I hear you talk about prayer it's almost like you're not – there are, of course, words, but the words aren't the point. It's like the communal discipline ritual is the prayer, the prayerfulness. And, of course, there are common words, and, of course, we, we repeat the same words, but it feels like you're leaning a little bit more to the communal gathering and responsibility to one another as we say these words as opposed to the words themselves. And like – in many of our conversations, that is certainly true for me and kind of my flavor, if you will, of Judaism. I think in traditional Judaism, the actual words matter just as much. And so I'll give you a, a maybe it's not a minor example, the, the, this central prayer that I'm talking about. And I'm going to talk about why it's the central prayer in a second, because it's very relevant. Um it, the first blessing praises our ancestors. And so it, it praises, it, it starts out blessing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We, in the Reformed Judaism, I would say about 15 or so years ago, changed it to the God of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob, Rachel, and Leah. Uh, and that doesn't fly with other traditions of Judaism. So even though that might seem like uh, certainly an important change, and it fits who we are morality-wise and, and you know, gender equality-wise. Um, is it really that big of a deal? Well, yes, <laughs> to many Jews it is, right? So uh, it, it's it's kind of both and. Oh, and let, Keep going. Let me just, yeah, I'll just, going back to why it's the central prayer and prayer in general is in Judaism, the whole concept or the whole the reason why we pray with our mouths is because we no longer have the sacrificial system. So, you know, last week we talked about when the Messiah comes, the third temple will be speedily and mightily rebuilt um, and we will go back to the sacrificial system. Not necessarily a system that 
every Reformed Jew wants to go back to for a variety of reasons. Um, but the the thought is that we um, use the emanations of our mouth to replace the actual sacrifice that happened. And this central prayer that I'm talking about is one of the you know, kind of climactic points of the service. You know, you were talking about those bookends before. And it's supposed to match the point in the service uh, back before the year 70, when the temple was destroyed, that the sacrifice would have happened. And so there is very much an explicit um, kind of uh, mapping of one to another. See, I think for um, for Christian listeners here, they're going to be going, whoa, because uh, when we think of prayer, I, I'll see if I can, I've never tried to organize it like this, but I'm going to see if I can say it. There's the private prayer, um, the ones that you might say out loud or the ones that you just think feel, um, you know, personally. There's the um, the public prayer, but you don't say it. Somebody else says it for you. So somebody is, you're in a worshiping community and someone is saying a prayer to God out loud, and hopefully it's on behalf of everybody in the gathered space. And then there is um, liturgical prayer. And not all Christian dominations are liturgical, where we we put prayerful words in the mouths of the gathered, and we say them together, or we say them, you know, responsively, maybe. So as we think about, as Christians think about prayer, the first one, the private one, is the most common. If, if you hear the word prayer, what we mean is somebody alone talking with God. The second one is the second most popular that we think of, somebody, a, a clergy person or whoever, up on the chancel or dais or bima, praying on our behalf to God. And then the third one is the that kind of corporate or liturgical prayer. It sounds like in your tradition, the third one's the biggie, right? Where you're, you're all saying it together, the same words um, at the same point. And the, the other two are less uh, less heard or less thought of. I think that is true. And that's not to say that personal prayer isn't powerful or important, but from a Jewish law standpoint in terms of am I am I the the word is yotze, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Those things are the public with a minion with a congregation prayer. Mhm. So I'm um, I'm wondering when you're going to start including Bilha and Zilpa in in your uh, <laughs> oh, Joe, it's so funny you say that because a very good friend of mine is making a case for it, and he started using it actually. Yeah, so if, so for if listeners you all don't who know, don't know Jacob, yeah, go ahead, you tell it. You do. I, that's not my. <laughs> you're the pro on this. Well, J- so Jacob had children through not two uh, women, but four. Rachel and Leah are the two that everyone knows, but uh, fewer people know Zilpa uh, and Bilka. Um, yeah. Okay, so back to prayer. Uh, for for us uh, and for me, um, I didn't grow up in the church, so I wasn't taught how to pray by watching others, and my prayerfulness is less 
uh, imitatio, uh, a word that we've used before. It's less an imitation, nice yeah, of what other how other people pray. But it's it's kind of crafted on its own on the side, and there's some risk to that and some reward. But even as I became a young adult and started wandering back into church slash religion, prayer and how other people pray was an important part of what I was observing and and looking for. And there was a there was a thing that kind of discredited a religious leader for me. And it, it's if their prayer, if their spoken prayer did not have God as the audience of it, if I felt like they were talking to me, to us, to the gathered folk in their prayer and praying more at us, trying to convince us or persuade us or to teach us or to remind us um, as opposed to talking to God on our behalf. I got a little squirmy um, with those kind of religious leaders and their and their prayers. And I didn't feel like they were trying to collect the gathered and hold us up before God and to speak the hard things to God that we as a people are too afraid to speak. So um, for me, the second kind of prayer where an individual is praying on behalf of a gathered, um, I feel like that person's prayer has to risk saying to God as the only audience of the prayer the things that the collected people might be too shy or afraid to say to God, um, and it's it's a blunt, honest, desperate cry, and and that comes from the Psalms. I don't know if y'all think of the Psalms as prayers or as poems or as songs, but a lot of the prayers, right, that I craft, I find myself resonating with Psalms. How blunt and honest and desperate, um, sure, they are, and how directly they speak to God. So let me ask you a question about that, and then I, I have a comment. The question is, what if in that instance when where they're praying for the congregation, if it it includes the clergy making the prayer? So it's not a holier than thou, you all need to be this. It's we need to do this or we want to be this. Does that make a difference for you? Uh, if they're talking to me, no. Like um, if clearly God is the audience, God, please help us. We are broken people. We need you, right? That kind of language is its not um, scolding the gathered folk or trying to teach them something. It is confessing something on our collective behalf to God. And that – so the, I would nuance it that way um, as opposed to somebody who prays, and God um, – we remember how much you've blessed this church, and, and we know that you've given lots of money into our checkbooks, and we now just pray to for the generosity to loosen up our back pockets and deposit large <laughs> checks, right? And um, call 976. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it, it – and that's just – the money issue is an obvious one, and people get a little squirmy. I've heard people pray beautifully about money. And generosity, where God is clearly the subject of the prayer, the audience of the prayer, and the pe- God is in the, you know, in the seat, and the collective people are on the stage, performing and speaking and singing towards God, and the clergy person is just has a short solo there to represent what's all going on. I, 
when I see that happen, it's beautiful. But it's not the only place. Um, you know, Father God, we just we just want you to make sure that the political candidate we prefer gets elected, right? Wait a minute. Um, you're trying to persuade the gathered people more than you are praying something towards God with that prayer. And and I don't. I'm not a judger of prayer, but but when I practice it as a clergy person, I want to lift up the concerns and cares and worries of the people that I'm with before God and to say the things to, to God that they're afraid to say. So a few things. First of all, I think it's okay to judge. <laughs> Maybe not out loud <laughs> in the moment, but no, I mean, there, there are selfish prayers, right? So, you know, when I'd be in high school or college and I'd pray for a girl to like me, that's a lot different than, you know, praying for poverty to end. I mean, I'm being a little generalistic, but yes. I, I, the point's made. Um, it's interesting. I, I use this prayer as a jumping off point a lot. We have a prayer that's it is somewhat of a highlight of the service. It's a prayer for healing, um, which actually uh, in some ways could be argued violates the no, um, you know, don't ask for stuff on Shabbat. Don't petition God. But we'll put that in abeyance for right now. And I read, you've probably been at synagogue when I've done this, before the prayer starts, I have a list of people in the congregation who are sick in the hospital, have had recent operations, and, you know, people will call the administrator and I get those names. And then I allow for anyone in the congregation or in the past nine months on Zoom to mention any other names they have, right? So like, you know, when now... Uh, may her memory be a blessing, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was sick. People would mention her name, you know, all sorts of things like that. Uh, I also mentioned Donald Trump's name when he had COVID, so it goes both ways. Um, uh, and I, I, I mentioned Donald Trump, and I, I lost, completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, that is a it. derailing thought right there. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and I would guess that very few people in my congregation, although they do exist and I have they so people do have this theology, but it is the minority, actually think that the name needs to be on the list in order for God to heal them. Hmm. The vast majority, including myself, think that first of all, us just thinking about the idea that there are people we know, whether they're in Athens or not, just remembering that people need help, I think inspires perhaps a giving spirit, a helping hand. If we hear a name we know, maybe the next day or two days later, we'll call them or, you know, again, when COVID ends, go visit them, bring them flowers, bring them a meal, that sort of thing. But so for me, the prayers that are powerful are the ones that kind of mirror, you know, the 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 wishes of who my best self is, who our best selves are back to me so that I can then enact the prayers um, as opposed to be granted the prayers. Yes, I love that. I often think of people saying, um, you know, thoughts and prayers, right? Um, and, and what I realize is, and I don't, a lot of times that statement is used perhaps flippantly, in which case I want to, you know, be upset that it was used flippantly. A lot of times it's used um, kind of shruggingly. I, the, the person saying it doesn't know what else they can do. 
um, and they don't know how to do something to respond to the need. It's too far away or it's too big or it's you know they don't have the expertise, whatever. And so they'll Awkward. just like – Yeah, they'll just say thoughts and prayers and they will legitimately pray for that situation. They will bring it to mind and hold it before God on a regular basis. When they're doing that, I'm fine with that because my assumption is if you're holding a legit concern that seems too big, too far away, you don't know what to do with it before God, God's going <laughs> to God's going to sucker you in to doing something about it. And and maybe that's where we're we're headed in this conversation and what I want to try to figure out with you is it's kind of a why pray? Why do we pray? Um but why isn't a fair enough word. It's more like what. Um, what does prayer do when we do it? What What do we expect from the action of praying? Oh, you're actually asking me that? Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to be rhetorical and answer it. I'm on pins and needles. I was about to write the answer down, Joel. <laughs> well, I have some thoughts, but I don't want to spoil no, of it. of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I think there's no one answer. And I also think, and, and I know that, you know, in some ways this is a throwaway because it's so easy to say, oh, there's no one answer. But I, I also think not only is it different for everyone, but it, it's different all the, for for one person, it's different. So for me, one Shabbat, I feel completely different praying than the next. And uh, all I think all of that is fine. I think, you know, to speak for Judaism, you know, at large, I think prayer is the acknowledgement, firstly, of something bigger than us, that our tradition is 4,000 years. We're part of what we call Sharsheret Kabbalah, this chain of tradition. These prayers were given to us. Um, and they also are meant to honor and glorify God. I mean, most of our prayers, even not on Shabbat, are not petitionary prayers. The vast majority are prayers of gratitude, praise, or or of awe, you know, A-W-E. Um, and we have this great Hebrew word, Nora, which means awesome. And, it, you know, it's not like awesome, dude. It's literally awe. Some, you know, and sometimes that's translated as fearful, mm -hmm. but it, it means so much more than that. And so that the, the I, I think the idea that I teach is that God inspires us to use a language that's meaningful, that's repetitive, so that um, we are reminding ourselves what we need to be reminded of and not just kind of what we want. Um, so, you know, e even if you're not in the mood to hear who's sick in the congregation, you, you have to, right? Mm -hmm. it, and uh, that I, I once read a book that talked about how the mourner who, who just went to a funeral sits next to the person who just went to a wedding and they say the exact same prayers. And so that there's something meaningful in that. Let me play <laughs> with something and see if, if you are or with me on it. Because as you're saying that, I'm resonating and then I'm wondering and then I'm resisting all at the same time. And I'm I'm trying to keep it organized. Um, so what is prayer and why do we do it? That's I think that's the core of what people struggle. Either you catch somebody who's in the habit of praying and they have no clue why, right? Or they misuse the term prayer 
to mean, well, I want something, so I'm going to just go ask God to give it to me. Um, and they think of God as like a drive through service, right? Yep. Um, and prayer is you pull up to the speaker and go, hey, God, I need, I need three A's, uh, you know, a girlfriend <laughs> and a great job. And then you drive around the corner of the building and hope to pick it up um, with, and get a receipt. Um, and when I see people with a, praying, with a, with a return guarantee, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right on the middle one. Uh, it, when when I see people praying like that, I'm like, okay, they don't get prayer, and they don't know what it is, and they don't know why we're doing it. For me, uh, I go back to the creation story, and and I think about where the first humans found themselves aware of the the good and evil, right? And this is the story of uh, Adam and Eve and maybe they, they ate the fruit of the knowledge of from the tree of good and evil and, and they realized, oh no, there's not just good, there's also evil. Oh no, there's not just evil in the world, there's evil in us, right? And they suddenly felt exposed and naked and they tried to cover themselves, right? And to hide something of themselves from, from God. And God's awesome question of them is who told you you were naked who told you to cover yourself up who who told you to hide some part of yourself and and i think one purpose of prayer is to become more honest with ourselves and with god about who we really are and and what we really feel and what we really think and what we really believe and if we truly believe God already knows it, then there's no risk in revealing it to God. But what makes prayer uncomfortable for some people is we don't want to reveal it to ourselves. We, we don't want to say out loud, even in our own head or heart, let alone with words, that we're, we're selfish or we're greedy or we're angry or we're vengeful. And the, the, there's the, there's a funny um, uh, resonance with that with regard to one of our prayers, Micha Mocha, which is said at almost every Jewish gathering. It's the prayer that is part of what we call the Song of the Sea when the Israelites escaped from Egypt and walked through the waters of the the split waters of the Red Sea. And so it's this real celebratory prayer. And and it's one it's a prayer that celebrates the like I said, the miracle of the splitting of the sea. And it says, Who is like you, O God? And of course the answer is nobody. And it's it's always struck me, especially, you know, if you've grown up going to synagogue your whole life, you know the prayer. There's probably eight melodies you know, but people sing it like this. It's like, this is, I mean, to call it a celebration even is an understatement, right? And so yes. it's like, and that's not even something that's super vulnerable or personal. That That is a historic moment. And so I, I think of that disconnect with regard to what you just said. Oh, that's that's good because I think the if the first purpose of prayer, and and I don't know if I'm right about this, it just feels like it, right? And I'm playing with it. It's is vulnerability, is the ability to say to God what God already knows, which means all we're really doing is being vulnerable to ourselves, right? And the the entry level of that is private prayer, right? And the advanced level of that is corporate prayer. If you can now say vulnerably your own weaknesses, not just to yourself and God, but in front of others, 
you've you've made a big step, right? You're you're not trying to hide anything behind a fig leaf. You're you're being honest and real. And that's that's a big step in in prayer. The I think the other side of the coin, the prayer coin, besides vulnerability and honesty, is to discern what God's will is, not just to express what our will is. And we have the Lord's Prayer, which, you know, Jesus says some interesting things about how to pray. Uh, He says something like, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues or at street corners just to be seen and heard by others, right, to impress people. Um, When you pray, you pray to your Father, you know, and and use these kind of words, and the, then the Lord's Prayer, um, our Father, um, the one in heaven, holy is your name, and then these words, your kingdom, comma, come, exclamation point, your will, comma, be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the power of that, what we are praying for is for our will to have no power, and for God's will to have all the power, for God's will to become real in this world and to land on this world and change everything about it so it looks exactly like God's promised kingdom. And in worship, people will go, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm like, come on, (laughs) y'all. It, well, so th- this harkens back to the, those two um, kind of not competing, but on opposite sides of the spectrum of the Keva and Kavanaugh, because the, the whole reason for Kavanaugh is to get away from the Keva. In other words, you've done something for so long, it's fixed, it's boring, you want to try something else. So there's this saying that I think anyone who's not only religion, but anyone who's been in a work setting for a long time, one generation's Kavanaugh. The, the intention, the spirit, is the next generation's keva, mm-hmm. is the fixed, stayed, possibly boring thing. And so that that this goes back also to why we call ourselves Reformed Jews, that the idea is that it's constantly fresh. Of course, that's very difficult to do. For myself, as a rabbi, it's very difficult to do. Yeah, the pendulum swings, I, right? Our absolutely. habit and ritual becomes rote and boring. But uh, so I will often pray the Lord's Prayer differently. Uh, a lot of people still pray it almost King James-ish. Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be. And I will pray it differently on purpose a little bit as I'm standing next to other people. And I'll say, Our Father, the one who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And I will emphasize it differently and change some of the language. And I will often sense people around me getting uncomfortable with me doing (laughs) the prayer differently, right? Right. Because Jesus taught us how to say this thing. Um, And what I want to tell them is- In English, of course. Yeah, King James (laughs) English. Like, when is the last time you use hallowed in a sentence? (laughs) Right? Come on. I think if those if I'm right about that, that prayer, its purpose is one, to be more honest and vulnerable, and two is to bend our will and desire and wants 
toward God's will and desire and wants, then prayer does have a purpose. It isn't an end of itself. You don't just go into prayer and do it, and that's it. You know, wipe off your hands and go back to normal life as if nothing changed. If if we practice in prayer being more honest and being more vulnerable, imagine what that would do to our relationships if we didn't hide stuff from one another, if we told the truth to one another about what we're feeling and, and, and what hurts and what we're scared of. Um, and then imagine if we left, we stood up from prayer, either alone or corporately, and walked out with God's will on our hearts and minds a little more than our own will. And, yep. and we saw God's visions of what could happen and what could be different rather than what our visions of what we want or, or think we need to be different. I, I think prayer, the why of prayer is to be changed so that we can be instruments of change into God's world. And if, and if prayer doesn't change us, and if we don't rise from prayer and go do some change, then it wasn't really prayer yet. 100%. And this is something I, I say occasionally uh, at my congregation, that the, the prayer is only as meaningful in the synagogue as what you do when you leave the synagogue. The prayer is in some ways kind of the inspiration for when you're not here, because that's what really matters. For my part, I want to end with with a story about um, a 20th century theologian, Abraham Joshua Heschel, who, who was fairly well known. He wrote many books. If anyone's interested, um, I'll put a link to his book on Shabbat, which is called the Sabbath. Um, and it's one of those books that's it's very philosophical and theological. It's not at all about specific laws or anything. And I would recommend it as much to someone non-Jewish as I would Jewish. Um, he also wrote a book called Man in Search of God, which is, of course, a concept we've spoken about before. But there's a in the uh, 60s, he was uh, pretty big in the civil rights area and was a, a friend and uh, partner with Dr. Martin Luther King. And I don't remember if it was on Shabbat or if it was during one of the prayer services, but there was a time when he marched with Dr. King instead of being in synagogue saying the prayers that he was, I'm putting air quotes up in the air, supposed to say. And so after the march, you know, he got a little bit chided by his modern Orthodox compatriots. You know, you were supposed to be in shul. That's the Yiddish word for synagogue. Uh, you know, Abraham, you were supposed to be in shul praying. And he said, you know what? Today, my feet were praying. And it's a line that we use all the time, and I certainly think of in terms of the connective tissue between the wishes of our prayers and the actions that they should engender. And his action was vulnerable, right? He was exposing himself in a vulnerable way, and he was embodying what he imagines and, and thinks he's heard as God's coming kingdom, what that will look like, the reconciliation of those things. So, yes, I, I am with him. His, his prayer became an action. Play yep. with me on this, because this is a weird analogy that popped into my head. Um, do, do you remember Friday night pep rallies before games? Did you all ever do that? <laughs> yeah, of course. Right? Sure. So, is Here's my wondering, is prayer kind of like a pep rally? Um, a pep rally is not an end of itself, right? It 
It is nothing. It is just the encouragement of the people to get psyched and and to believe that they can actually go do something in just a minute. And then you go do it, right? But it, prayer is like a pep rally. If, and if you treat it, imagine if somebody just threw a pep rally with no game, right? What's the point of that? Uh, that the, the whole reason to get pepped up is to go win the game and do your best and try your hardest. So I feel like that's what makes thoughts and prayers sound so hollow. You feel yeah. like people step into that that prayerfulness as if it's the end of its in in, in and of itself. And, and it's it, not. But, and if we realize that the game is daily life, it would be a lot more powerful. Yes. And and I've heard people say, well I pray in the car, well I pray in the whatever. And I'm not I'm fine with all of that. Sure. My my question is were you vulnerable and honest? Were you changed? And then did you become an agent of change as a result of that prayer? And if somebody goes, well, no, I just wanted to get a better parking spot. Okay, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for joining us on the Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real. <laughs>